Welcome to Manufacturing Success, a podcast presented by the Manufacturing Industry Group at Fisher Phillips. This group is a national team of labor and employment lawyers who focus on helping manufacturing employers effectively handle today's legal issues and prepare for the future. My name is Mike Carruth. I'm a partner in the Columbia, South Carolina office of Fisher Phillips and a member of the Manufacturing Industry Group. Those of you who have listened before know that our podcast involves me having a conversation with guests who have acknowledged expertise in an area of interest for manufacturing employers. We'll be doing that today, but in a slightly different format. Today, we want to share an excellent conversation that involves several of my partners in our wage and hour practice group that is very topical and should be of great interest to our listeners. This conversation occurred as part of the Fisher Phillips Wage and Hour podcast. So with that, I hope you enjoy this conversation about how manufacturing employers ought to approach their wage and hour issues. This is being brought to you and involves Hey Good Ty, Courtney Lays, and Samantha Monsees. Welcome to the Fisher and Phillips Wage Hour podcast. This is a podcast that explores questions and ideas associated with employers' desire to be sure they're paying their employees properly. My name is Haygood Ty, and I'm with Fisher and Phillips, and I'm the co-chair of our Wage and Hour practice group. And today, I have the great pleasure of spending time with Samantha Monsies and Courtney Lays, who are both partners of mine and who work in the wage and hour space on a variety of different issues, handling lawsuits, class and collective action lawsuits. But they also spend time advising companies on how to comply with certain complicated or tricky wage and hour issues. And today we're going to be talking about wage and hour mistakes that are often made in the manufacturing environment. And so, Courtney, let me turn to you first. When we think about the manufacturing environment, is there one wage and hour mistake that jumps out to you as something we ought to be talking about? Yes. Um, so thanks for having me. Hey, good. And yes, the, the biggest one that I'm seeing right now and have seen consistently for years is having an auto deduct policy for lunch without having an exception log or a policy that allows employees to report if they have to work through lunch. That's the biggest thing we're seeing because we know manufacturers, you can't have everybody crowding the time clocks during lunch because then by the time everybody gets clocked out, lunchtime is over. So I get the efficiency piece of having an auto deduction policy. However, if employees have to stick around and maybe have to get called back to the machines to work on it, you need to have a policy in place to report that time worked to be paid for it. And so a lot of companies don't have that exception log policy. It makes it difficult to defend those off the clock claims. Because under the federal law, for, the, for it to be an unpaid meal break, it's gotta be 30 minutes long and uninterrupted, right? Exactly. And so if it's interrupted, then it's compensable. And so, you know, a lot of companies will say, well, we gave them a break later, or whatever, but they don't have anything to show that they did it. And, and you can't you can't just add these little bits and pieces of breaks throughout the day to get up to the 30 minutes. It's really got to be one 30-minute period for it to qualify to be unpaid. Yep, exactly. 
So, Samantha, we've just heard what Courtney thought was something that manufacturers need to watch out from a wage and hour standpoint. Is there something that jumps out in your mind that manufacturers should be concerned about or should be thinking about when they're doing their own audits of their wage and hour practices? Yeah, so I think Courtney really hit the nail on the head with the auto deduction for lunches. But another common mistake that we see in the manufacturing space is not compensating employees for work done pre-shift and post-shift. Oftentimes, there's requirements that employees have to meet in order to do their job, and it's actually called integral and indispensable. So that's a really fancy way of saying if the employee can't perform their regular job without first engaging in whatever that preliminary activity is or pre-shift activity, then the preliminary activity becomes integral and indispensable and therefore compensable. So we see this a lot with donning and doffing, putting on uniforms and other PPE that's required to do the job before the shift and not getting compensated for that. So you want to be mindful that those are things that they have to do as part of their job. And if that's the case, then it, it needs to be compensable under the FLSA. So this is sort of like when an employee goes in and has to set their machine up for the day. That time setting up the machine is going to be compensable just like anything else you're saying that they would have to do in order to be able to perform their job. That's exactly right. All right, great. So that's interesting. So Courtney, you know, when we talk about time clocks and timekeeping and things like that, one of the things that I hear people raise questions about is rounding. Is rounding an issue in the manufacturing world? Definitely is for that same efficiency reason that I mentioned earlier is manufacturing environments only have a couple of time clocks in the facility usually, you know, by the back door and by another door, you know, by, by a couple of doors if, at most. And so to prevent, again, that crowding and everybody being late to their shift, a lot of companies will have like a grace period, you know, where you clock in between one and 10 minutes before your shift, you're on time, you're not late. However, the pitfall here is if they're not compensated for those 10 minutes, that's okay so long as you tell people that and you communicate that to your employees so that they know that you don't go out onto the floor and do what Samantha was sharing. You don't go out on the floor and you don't get your machine ready. You're not doing work because that's the problem we see is you have that rounding where you round up, you know, anytime between, you know, 10 minutes and whatever up to the start time, you round it up for purposes of payment, you know, compensation, but not communicating it. So then you have your team leaders on the floor thinking, oh, Sally's out there working on her machine. No big deal. She clocked in when in reality, the time doesn't start for compensation until the start of the shift when they have their pre-shift meeting. And so it's okay, you just need to make sure you have a policy in place. And then also that goes hand in hand with policies of prohibiting off the clock work and training your supervisors about prohibiting off the clock work and reporting any sort of work performed and using it as a disciplinary measure if somebody's performing off the clock and we're told them repeatedly not to do so. So that goes hand in glove, I think, with what Samantha was mentioning and also what I mentioned at the beginning. So Courtney, when we're talking about this rounding issue, I as you and I both know, from a federal law standpoint, we can only round to the nearest quarter hour. And I think the 10-minute issue you're describing was really some sort of grace period where there was no rounding ever taking place to the employee's benefit. Is that right? That's exactly right. So usually, as you mentioned, Haygood, when you'd round, you have to benefit both the employee and the employer. So it has to go both ways. And in this case, 
there was a rounding that it only benefited the employer and it wasn't paid and it wasn't communicated to employees. And if it was 10 minutes, it was going beyond what the FLSA and the Department of Labor would permit anyway. Mm-hmm. So, you know, one of the things these days with all the different ways that employees can clock in on apps and using electronics and things like that. I see a lot of companies these days that are getting away from rounding because of the problems it creates and instead trying to find ways that employees can clock in in their departments and things like that, because you don't always have to have a big time clock like you did in the old days when I started practicing law. The technology has moved so much further. But that's becoming an issue, too, because and this goes with what Samantha mentioned is um, donning and doffing or off the clock pre-shift stuff. If you're logging in on your phone, is that de minimis? In some states, it's not, you know, but under the FLSA, is that de minimis going into your phone and logging in or and having like a two-step authentication to clock in? That's a whole other issue, I think. Well, you're right, Courtney. You've identified all kinds of issues <laughs> here that are fascinating, I'm sure, for our listeners. So, Samantha, is there one other issue that you think we ought to be thinking about here from a manufacturer standpoint? Yeah, I think we need to talk about bonuses. So, most of our manufacturing employees are non-exempt, meaning that they are entitled to overtime for every hour worked in excess of 40 under federal law, and that's time and a half. And what we often see is companies award bonuses to their employees based on some sort of performance metric or some predetermined formula um, to help those folks, you know, earn more. And they're not including that amount in the total compensation for purposes of determining the regular rate. So for those who don't know, you have to include all compensation or what we call Courtney's favorite word, remuneration for the week. And you have to divide that by the number of hours worked in that week in order to determine what the proper regular rate is, and that regular rate is what you then calculate time and a half from. And that bonus amount often gets, um, they still get the bonus amount, but that bonus amount's not being included to calculate overtime, and that's a big problem. Well, that's right. You know, I've run into this quite a few times myself, including in both lawsuits and Department of Labor audits. So I think that is a great point and a fairly common mistake that occurs. So thank you for pointing that out. You know, one of the things I think we should remind our listeners is, is that we, our focus today has been on the federal law, the Fair Labor Standards Act. But depending on where you are in the country, there could be local state laws that might impact your ability to round the way we were talking about um, and other issues involving breaks, for example, that you may need to look into. So be sure to check in on those state law issues as well. So if you've got other questions about what we've talked about today, you can always follow up with Samantha Monsies or with Courtney Lays, and they will be happy to answer your questions. I'll also encourage you to take a look at our website, which is fisherphillips.com, where we have pages for our wage and hour practice group, as well as information on our manufacturing group. And there's a lot of resources there and articles that we hope you will find helpful. And of course, you can also sign up for our insights and email newsletters. So we wish you a great day and hope you will stay well. Thank you. This podcast provides an overview of a specific developing situation. It is not intended to be and should not be construed as legal advice for any particular fact situation. Thank you.